Now, if I were to use the words, we are, some of you would have an automatic response. I know my father-in-law and my wife would both uh, respond with something about Penn State. In fact, they would say, we are Penn State, which they say a lot. Um, there's also those of you who would say, we are Ridley Strong, or we are Lakeview Elementary, or we are Ridley, whatever that you might say about your school. And there are also those who go to Springfield and those from Interboro. Uh, and I, I don't want to slight them, but they, they don't have the we are thing as strongly as maybe some other places. But the strongest we are should be for anyone who knows Jesus Christ, that we are children of God, that we are redeemed. Now, one of the biggest mistakes, one of the biggest confusions in our Christian life is this. Be so that you are. Most people, many people outside of the Christian faith think that that's what our faith is about. And some, unfortunately, within our faith think that's what it's about. But the truth is that you are. So be. It's a huge difference. It makes a world of difference in how we approach our lives. If we know that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we already are in Christ. We already are secure in our eternal life. We are secure in our relationship with God. And our life is not a, a continuing effort to do enough to win God's favor. But it is a continuing walk with the God who loves us. Our passage this morning talks about uh, the fact that we are, we are to be holy. But it's very important, as we said last week, to realize that this holiness is not a holiness that we work toward or we achieve on our own. It says, be holy for I am holy. And what it means is, because you are made holy in Jesus Christ, you are to live out that reality. The Levitical definition of holiness, which is what Peter's quoting here when he says, be holy for I am holy, is the, the definition of, of the things that are set apart for God's service. So because you are set apart for God's service, act like one who is set apart for God's service and live your life, it says here, as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, we're foreigners here. That means that our true citizenship is with God in God's kingdom. It is not in this world. So we are to acknowledge that we are foreigners here and not put our hope in the things of this world. So what this does, what who you are means for you, is that you have a relationship with God. And it's a relationship that God has achieved for you in Jesus Christ. Now, I do not mean to imply that everyone has this relationship with God. But the important thing, this, the, the important distinction that must be made is that when you have a relationship with God, it is because of what God has done. It is because of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. It is not based on what you have done or are able to do. 
all that God calls us to do in response to the message of the gospel is to believe, is to have faith, is to believe in what Jesus Christ has done and set our hope on what he has accomplished. And when you have done that, you are made new in Jesus Christ. You do have a relationship with God. But it says here that we're to live our life with God in reverent fear. And it says, because you have a father who judges each one's work. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Our father is the judge, but our, the judge is our father. There's a relational element here that we cannot escape. Because God is our father, we live in reverent fear. Because God is judge, we live in reverent fear. But it's the two together that make this so powerful. For there, it's all this fear is not based in a fear like the child of a, an abusive father would have, not at all. This reverent fear is the fear of losing the wonderful loving relationship that you have with your father. There's the story of uh, Mahatma Gandhi's grandson, Aaron, who was um, just a teenager, had just learned to drive, just gotten his license, and his father gave him the honor of taking him to work one day and then saying, after you take me to work, there's a garage downtown that the car needs to go into the shop. And please make sure to pick up the car by 5.30 so that you can pick me up at 6. It's very important that you pick me up by 6 o'clock. Well, Aaron was thrilled because he had not uh, had this kind of freedom before. The garage was in the city where there was a lot of, there were many things to do. So he dropped the car off. He began to explore the city. And sure enough, he lost track of time. He got back to the garage late, and he was a half an hour late picking up his father. Now, the problem was that his father had called the garage at five. So when Aaron said, oh, I'm sorry, father, I would have picked you up on time, but the garage didn't have the car ready yet, the father knew that his son was lying. So not too far out of town, the, the father asked Aaron to pull over to the side of the road. And he said, I know that you have lied to me. And I'm just wondering what would have made my son, what, would, what have I done to make my son feel that he had to lie to me? So I am going to get out of the car and ask you to follow along so that I can use the light of the headlights to find my way while I consider what I must have done. Now, we might think that that was a manipulative thing for the father to do, but Aaron knew his father well enough to know that that was not in him to act that way. So it was a genuine time of thought and reflection on what he might have done to make his son lie to him. Now, Aaron says he has never lied since because in lying, he hurt his father. That's the kind of reverent fear that we are to have with our relationship with God, a, a desire to please God, a desire to maintain that relationship that we have with God. So we have, because of what Jesus Christ has done, uh, because of who we now are in Christ, we have a relationship with God. 
But we also have a changed relationship with the world. It says that your citizenship now is in God's kingdom. You are foreigners here. And you're foreigners here because you've been redeemed from the empty way of life passed down by your ancestors. So whatever values the world places on life, whatever values the world places on our existence, Peter is saying are empty. And it's very interesting what he says here when he's comparing the values of this world with what, who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. It says, um, for you know, verse 18, that, when it was, that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Notice what he said. It was not with perishable things like silver and gold. Now, when you think of what is the most reliable thing, one of the most reliable things in this world, one of the most trustworthy investments, it's gold and silver. It's these precious metals that do not lose their value and do not really decay. But... Peter says those are the perishable things. And what he is saying by saying that is the most trustworthy things in this world are perishable. They will not last. They will not take you through to this relationship with God. They will not take you through to eternity. So therefore, do not put your trust even in the most wonderful parts of our earthly existence, but put your ultimate trust in God. Jesus Christ, who existed before the creation of the world. Jesus Christ, who is a lamb without spot or blemish. Nothing in this world is without spot or blemish. Nothing in this world has the standard of perfection that allows it to enter into the kingdom of God. But Jesus Christ was already part of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ was there at the creation of the world. And Jesus Christ, by his power, by his accomplishment of dying for us and raising for us, being the unique sacrifice for the sins of the world to redeem all of creation, has offered to us the opportunity to enter into relationship with him and thereby have a relationship with God that lasts through eternity. And anything that we put our trust in that is temporary, Peter would maintain is foolish. For we have in Christ the opportunity to be citizens of eternity. The best of this life, silver and gold, whatever it might be, are dead in comparison because they will not last into eternity. So in verse 21, it says, So you, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. 
And the, the Greek word for in is also a word for toward. In other words, your faith and your hope are toward God. You know that it is in relationship with God that you find the satisfaction of your soul. You, in, it is in relationship with God that you find true hope. So orient your life around this hope that we have in Jesus Christ, in your relationship with God. And while um, who we are in Christ changes our relationship with God, it changes our relationship with the world, it also changes our relationship with each other. In verse 22, I have to say, I looked at and I studied for a long time because it is awkwardly constructed in my opinion. Let me read it to you. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. I, I had a hard time pulling that apart and understanding what Peter was saying. But one of the key things that theologians bring to a passage like this is an understanding of imperatives and indicatives. An indicative is a statement of this is true. Like when God said, let there be light and light shone. Like the power I might have vested in me by the state of Pennsylvania to declare a marriage. I now declare that you are husband and wife. I can do that. God can declare Truth, and it becomes truth because he declared it. And that is an indicative statement. Because he says it, it is true. And throughout this passage, we have a, a, a combination of indicatives and imperatives. The indicatives say, this is who you are. And the imperatives say, therefore, this is how you should be. And the indicative in, in verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, is all of that. The imperative is love one another deeply from the heart. Now, we might say, it looks like this early part has some, some command in it, some imperative in it. But it really, look at it closely. Now that you have purified yourself. Now, is that saying that we purify ourselves? No. Look at the rest. By obeying the truth. Is that saying we have to be obedient? Only to the truth. And what is the truth? What has been the truth that Peter has been talking about through this, this chapter thus far? The truth is that Jesus Christ died and was raised for you. The truth is that there is new life in him. So when you obey the truth, what you are doing is believing in the truth of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Believing in the good news of the accomplished work of Christ for the salvation of your soul. So, looking at verse 22 a little more. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another. In other words, because you are now in Christ, because you are made holy in him, because of your faith, you automatically have a sincere love for each other. Therefore, therefore, love one another deeply from the heart. What has been accomplished by Jesus Christ 
is that we have relationship with each other. And that relationship is characterized by sincere love. Now, you might say, hmm, that is not always the case for me. I have folks that don't love me, and I have folks I don't, can't really say that I love. And those folks are within the body of Christ. Those are other believers. And I would say that because we have a shared identity, we must be at odds with the idea that, can, that we can be at odds with each other. There can't be an attitude of disdain between brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been united. We have a shared hope, we have a shared faith, and we have a shared future. And if you think that um, you can't reconcile with someone now, that you can't uh, love someone now, how can you think that you can exist with them forever in God's kingdom? The, the Bible is very clear that Forgiveness and shared love between believers is vital. It's a living out of what has been accomplished for us. Because God loves us, we are called to love each other. And if we don't, Scripture would ask, is the love of God really in us? So make sure to live out who you are in relationship in loving relationship with other believers. Uh, I have probably mentioned this before in previous sermons. I know I have, but um, I had a unique experience when I was in college to go to the home of one of my professors. Now, I was not that student that um, cozied up to my professors. I didn't really know most of them. I was sort of in reverent fear, I guess, of, of most of them, but not the kind of reverent fear we have with God where it's based in solid relationship. It's the kind of fear that I want to stay away. But this one professor sought me out along with a few of my friends. Uh, the professor was E. Digby Baltzell. Now, talk about a great name for a, a college professor. And E. Digby Baltzell lived on Delancey Street in Philadelphia, right behind where I was going to church at 10th Presbyterian Church at that time. E. Digby Baltzell said to me and to some of my friends, I would like to have you over to my home and I want to talk to you about something. Well, what an honor. So we went, we gladly went, we gladly had a lunch at his home after church one Sunday and what he wanted to talk to us about was the fact that in that room were people from all kinds of backgrounds in his home that he had invited, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of nationalities all kinds of skin tones. And he said, there is nowhere else on campus that I see people from so many backgrounds getting together as I do in your group. And what was my group? My group was the Christian Fellowship on campus. My group came from church to his home. And what he saw, and by the way, he was a noted sociologist. He was actually the one who came up with the term WASP for white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. So he, he was well known in the sociological field. And he saw in us something that intrigued him. A sociological study of the power of God to unite people from all kinds of backgrounds because he saw that because our identity was in Christ, all kinds of other barriers that might potentially separate us drew, we were still united together despite those potential barriers. 
finally, our relationship with this truth, the fact that we are now in Christ, changes our relationship with God, changes our relationship with the world, changes our relationship with each other, and changes our relationship with ourself. It is so important that you know who you are. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old life isn't diminished, according to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. It is gone. A new life has begun. So you have, of course, we, we know that we still have that old life fighting for attention in us, but that does not define us. Who we are is measured by who we are in Christ, and we need to cultivate that relationship with everything that we have. Now, one of, pastor, one of pastor's favorite um, illustrations, pastors throughout uh, the country, I believe, is an old Cherokee um, uh, story about a grandfather and his grandson. And the grandfather said, my son, a fight is going on inside me. It is a terrible fight and it is between two wolves. One is evil, anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf, he said, is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And he went on to say the same fight is going on in you and in every other person too. The grandson thought about it for a while and said, which wolf will win? And grandfather said, the one you feed. We are made new in Jesus Christ. We have a new identity in him. But it is our responsibility to feed that identity, to remind ourselves of the hope we have in the gospel, of who we now are. You are made new in Jesus Christ. You are redeemed. You now have a relationship with God that should change everything about your life. Let it happen. Let God work within you. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit and see what God will do in and then through you as an ambassador of his eternal kingdom.